have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's going to be one in the pew somewhere around you. We're going to be on page 811. Uh, we're also going to, you know, go through a handful of other passages. If you spent your youth in Bible drill, you may try and keep up. If not, I'll read them to you. I want to start in verse 16, Matthew 6, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, when they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast, this, if you remember, if you've been here, is the third and final example that Christ gives to His disciples when he's teaching them not to do righteousness, not to practice their righteousness before others in order to be seen by others. So we spent some time reflecting on secret generosity and secret prayer. And secret fasting is sort of the last step of this presentation before we get to, I think, what is the culminating paragraph, which is, don't lay, your, lay up for yourself treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. So there's this notion throughout this passage that you're going to choose whose attention you seek. You will either seek the attention and praise of man, or you will seek the attention and reward of God. So that's the context here. And you know, I think we were all pretty comfortable talking about generosity, and I think we were all pretty comfortable talking about prayer. But boy, fasting, right? I don't think we do fasting much, and I'm not, I'd not be surprised to hear that this was weird to think about, uh, or uncomfortable, or maybe you associate fasting with, you know, some fringe charismatic movements or uh, some mystics that you spent time with in college. But indeed, Christ expected His people to fast. And we will talk about this a bit more later and explain why, but I do not believe fasting refers to setting aside your phone for a day or turning your television off for a week. Um... I will give you some arguments to that effect later, but to be clear, I think Christ is referring to setting aside food. Choosing not to eat is a way to appeal to God in prayer. So what I want to do today is I want to 
give you a, a, a biblical argument for fasting. I want to give you some context so that you can understand what fasting is, what fasting is for, and how to do it. And I think that context will set a stage for understanding what is going on in this passage. So, before I actually point at any particular passage, I just want to uh, start with the statement. This is sort of an uh, uh, explanation of a handful of passages we're about to read, maybe an introduction to a handful of passages we're about to read. Fasting is a physical display of our desperate need. All right, so fasting, fasting is a physical display or a physical representation of our desperate need. There are people who argue, and I think there's some uh, merit to this argument, that when you pray, your posture in prayer matters. Right. So uh, one of uh, one of the most famous arguments. Uh, is uh, in Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. He argues that um, that our, to divorce our physical person from our spiritual portion per- person is actually totally ignorant of, uh, of how the Bible talks about people. So, he argues you should get on your knees in prayer um, as, as a way to bow before your king. Right? It's a physical posture that mirrors your spiritual posture. Now, much in the same way, fasting throughout the Scriptures is a physical display or a physical representation of a particular thing. And that, I think, is desperation. Desperate need for God to act. When you feel desperation for God to move, you fast. I think that's what we see in the scriptures. All right, so my first reference here is in Leviticus. This is the only time in the scriptures that fasting is commanded. Um, it's the only time in the scriptures that fasting is commanded. It was commanded in conjunction with the Day of Atonement. All right, so I'm going to read from Leviticus 16, uh, starting in verse 29. It shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, You shall afflict yourselves. Afflict yourselves was fasting and other things. You shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. Now, This day, this day of atonement, this day where a sacrifice was made to uh, present the people of Israel right before God, to cover the sins of the people of Israel, was a day to foreshadow the work of Christ, right? So someday, many years from now, an innocent lamb would be slaughtered to redeem the people of God. Right, So the people of God would stand before the throne of grace pure. That sacrifice, the sacrifice of, of Jesus on the cross, was foreshadowed in the Day of Atonement. And in this passage, we see that the appropriate posture, the appropriate 
disposition of the people of God when reflecting on their desperate need for God to rescue them, their desperate need for God to make atonement for them and to cover their sins is fasting. All right, so the, probably the first full formal introduction of fasting in the Scriptures is set in this context of seeing my sin and recognizing that my sin has warranted death. I have earned judgment. And that judgment is a call for blood. And instead of calling for my blood, God made provision for an innocent to die in my stead. And so innocent blood will be poured to cover my sin. And when I see this unfold before my eyes, the only appropriate posture for me to hold is that of fasting, afflicting oneself. Alright, so that's the first biblical picture. And I think what we see here is that we fast when we see our sin and when we long for God's mercy. Now, this is not just from this passage, it's from the next several passages, but one of the first and clearest calls to fast is in the, against the backdrop of our own sin and our desperate need for God's mercy. All right? So that's step one. Let's keep going. Jonah 3. I love this passage. I love this book. Jonah 3, starting in verse 4. This is after, by the way, Jonah heard that he was going to be sent to the Ninevites. And he knew who God was. And he knows that if a prophet's sent to these people, there's an opportunity to repent. And if they repent, then judgment won't come. So Jonah's going, bam, all the way in the other direction. Right? He's like, I, don't, I want the Ninevites to die in their sin. And so I, I'm, I'm getting out of Dodge. In an ironic turn of events, he is eaten by a big fish and spit up on the coast. <laughs> and then he goes to Nineveh anyways. Uh, don't resist God's will. It will be uncomfortable for you. Um, so Jonah 3 is the moment when he gets to Nineveh and he starts to warn them right, of God's judgment. Listen, as Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, I think it's interesting that he doesn't say, so repent. <laughs> he doesn't say, turn to God, and there's grace there. He just says, get ready. It's coming. Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And listen to this. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he removed his robe, and he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the degree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth 
and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And they did what the king said, and God did relent. We fast when we see sin's consequences and we long for God's grace. Right? Fasting walks in tandem with repentance. It walks in tandem with an acknowledgement of my desperate need for God's mercy and God's grace. That's the purpose of fasting. We fast to demonstrate that God is our only hope. God is our only hope. Everybody, almost everybody, knows the story of David and Bathsheba. David, well known as a man after God's heart, well known as, as a man who longed with zeal for God's kingdom. And... Then, when things started to get easy, and when he started to stay home and send the armies out, instead of leading them, he lays eyes on Bathsheba, who he finds particularly attractive, and he uh, asks her to come to his royal chambers. He commits adultery. A few months later, finds that Bathsheba's pregnant. So he sends for Bathsheba's husband, who is, by the way, one of his mighty men and a dear friend, hoping that home from war she will lay with him and maybe they can call this a premature birth. But he is honorable where David is not. And he refuses to be comforted while his men are at war. So David has him murdered. David turned away from the law of God. And the consequence, among others, was that this child who will be born to Bathsheba is going to die in infancy. Right, that's the context for this passage. David sees his sin. He confesses his sin. Psalm 51 is moving. Not only because we see a man who longed for God's reign, returning in repentance to that longing, but also because it represents our disposition or what it ought to be when we see our sin, right? So he's, he repents and he sees that the consequences of his sin are, 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 are heavy and painful. And so he fasts. Listen to this. The elders of his house stood behind him or beside him, to raise him from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to this. How then can we say to him that the child is dead? He may do to himself some harm. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, Is the child dead? They said, He is. Then David arose from the earth, 
and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And then he went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. And his servant said to him, what is this thing that you've done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me? Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. This is a helpful passage because it teaches us how David saw fasting. And it is exactly the same disposition as the disposition of the Ninevites. Who knows? Maybe God will be gracious to us. We stand before the consequences of our sin. We are doomed. But for the grace and mercy of God, therefore let us fast. Make sense? Okay. Fasting is how we show God how desperately we need Him to act. Fasting is how we show God how desperately we need Him to act. In personal crisis, in community crisis, and in national crisis. You can read these passages later. Um, one of them we're going to come back to at the very end, Second Kings 21. Um, but what you can see here in these passages are moments of personal crisis where an individual, in the case of um, Ahab, sees God's wrath, sees God's consequences for his sin, and he fasts because he is in a personal situation of crisis. Esther 4, the community of Jews surrounding Esther, fasts because she is in, the mo in a moment of personal crisis. And they are in a moment of community crisis. And then you see in Nehemiah 9, you see national crisis. You see the people of Israel fasting together as a nation because they need God to act graciously and mercifully as a nation. And this spread is kind of how fasting works in the individual's life, in the community's life, and in the nation's life. Not foreign, by the way, to our nation. Abraham Lincoln called three separate fasts in the midst of the Civil War. I thought that was interesting. We fast when we recognize our desperate need for God to act. It is throughout the Scriptures. Let's turn a bit to the New Testament. Faithful people fast, even apart from sin, by the way. These situations are representing the faithful work of fasting because people not facing their own sin, not facing their own consequences, yet recognize their desperate dependence on God, their urgent need for God. For example, when we long for God's Rescued. We see in Luke 2, this really sweet moment where 
two faithful among the Israelites are spending their lives in prayer and fasting, longing for the coming king, right? Longing for the coming king. And in this really beautiful moment where we actually see in real time the father who sees in secret and rewards those who seek him in secret, we see the father seeing these two individuals who have been fasting and longing for the king to come right on the, on the heels, or right, right before their death, right? And he sends them little baby Jesus. They get to bless little baby Jesus because they've been fasting and longing for him for, for decades. Right? Okay, so the faithful fast when they long for his rescue and his return. We're going to read this passage here in a moment. But Christ says, when I go, they will fast. They will long for my return when I'm gone, right? Right now is not the appropriate time to fast, but someday, not long from now, I won't be here anymore, and that's when my people will fast. They are longing for the return of their king and their friend who will set the world right. All right, so the faithful fast when they long for his rescue, when they long for his return. Jesus himself fasted. Right on the uh, just before launching into his ministry, his public ministry, Christ fasted in the wilderness, and you see this in the life not only of Christ on mission but Paul on mission. You see fasting for the strength of God to do what God has willed. And one of my favorite moments in Acts, um, you have the church of Antioch spending time together, praising God and fasting, right? Praising God and fasting. And what does that moment of worship and display of desperate dependence yield? Go send Paul and Barnabas to the nations. Right? You are the beneficiary of the faithful people of God fasting. God's means to rescue you, in part, was the fasting of the church of Antioch. And, and then they sent Paul to the nations, to us, and to others. Okay, so... I think that's enough biblical context to establish uh, a definition here. Um, so what is fasting? What is fasting? These are my definitions, so if you have a problem with them, that's fine. Um, however, I think that they en encapsulate what we've just read. Fasting is setting aside what sustains your life to remember and reflect that God is your only hope for life. Setting aside what sustains your life to reflect that God is your only hope for life. That's what's going on with fasting. And that's, by the way, why fasting from your phone isn't truly fasting. Because if your phone died, you'd be okay. But believe it or not, guys. Believe it or not. If, if Facebook fell apart tonight, 
We'd be okay. We'd be okay. Um, uh, there, there are good reasons. I'm going to point you back. Actually, we've got to figure out a way, Trey, to make your slides accessible to these guys. Maybe if we can post, maybe just that excerpt or something. But how to grow class last semester. Um, uh, they talked about fasting. And, uh, uh, and they highlight, look, these are good. it's good to set aside time from your phone. It's good to set aside time from your television. Or from anything that's a distraction, that's good. It's just not fasting, right? It's just, you can call it prudence. You can call it um, wisdom, but you just can't call it fasting. And the reason is because the driving motive of fasting is to demonstrate physically that you have a desperate need for God the way you didn't just demonstrate that is to set aside those things that actually sustain your life, to, sh- to show, right, to, to display that He is your life. Make sense? Okay. So that's fasting, setting aside what sustains your life to remember and reflect that God is your only hope for life. Why do we fast? We fast to reflect our desperate need for God to act. We fast to reflect our desperate need for God to act. He is the audience of our fasting. We fast in tandem with our prayers. One of the means God uses to act on our behalf is our humility to ask Him for those things. All right? You may find yourself, as I did, in this moment where you have to reconcile God's unchanging nature and His sovereignty with His call for His people to plead for Him to act and His decision to do so. Right? Once you work that out, let me know, and then I'll preach on it. Um, In the meantime, just know that God is sovereign and He is good And He's unchanging in His purpose and in His power and in His his will for His people and in His character. And yet, He has chosen as a means to do what He wants to do, His people pleading before Him in humility to do it. That's what we're doing when we're fasting. We We are highlighting our desperation. We're not just saying, we desperately need you. We are showing, we desperately need you. Make sense? Okay. How do we fast? How do we fast? Well, we set aside food for a time. For a time. That's going to be different for each of you. It may be impossible. For some of you. It may be a good time to say that fasting is never commanded to the New Covenant community. There's this really funny uh, moment in um, church history. So there's this book called The Teaching of the Apostles, and the early church kind of rejected it because uh, it wasn't wasn't actually legitimate, but it was kind of one of the things that 
you know, they talked about, is this, is this, is this should this be a part of the Bible? Everybody agreed that it shouldn't in the long run, but um, there's this really funny moment where it says in this book, don't be like the Pharisees who are hypocrites and they fast every Monday and Wednesday. Instead, you should fast every Sunday and Thursday. So, okay. All right. Maybe, maybe we missed the point. Maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's not that, right? It's that now, some of you may choose regular fasting. Um, suffice it to say, uh, I'm going to try and channel something that Brett sent me last night, and I'm not being word for word because I, I, I don't remember exactly the words he used. And also, if, often I say things that make him nervous. So <laughs> if you have questions, just ask him. Um, uh, I think it's enough to say that though it's not commanded, Christians in their maturity will encounter moments where it's the most appropriate action. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So we set aside food for a time. Now, in the scriptures, you have moments where we're setting aside food for a day. You have moments where people are setting aside food for a weekend. You have moments even of supernatural uh, provision where people set aside food for a long time, like 40 days. Um, I will tell you that if you choose to begin fasting, um, baby steps uh, is probably the, the way to go. Um, but anyways, as we set aside food, you're going to feel the pains of hunger, right? You're going to feel ugh, this desperation. You're going to pass by restaurants, and it's going to lead you to go, oh, man, it smells amazing. That's, that's desperation, right? That's your body saying, oh, I need food now, please. That desperation is the symbol of our spiritual state. Make sense? Okay. When do we fast then? I think we fast as often as we feel that desperation and especially if we don't feel it at all. Especially if you do not feel it at all. You should be on your knees in prayer and you should be fasting because desperation is fundamental to your faith, right? All right. And then who should fast? I think anyone who desperately needs God's grace and who is physically able. That is an important caveat. Some of you are in health situations where this would be a bad idea. Please, do not feel an obligation or a mandate. Um, however, it is, I think, the following Christ's words, when you fast, it is the expectation of the mature Christian community that this will be a part of your prayer life. And it's in the Bible. Um, there was a survey of like early Christian literature on fasting and uh, one guy said, there's not much about fasting in early Christian literature. 
And there's a very real possibility that it's because they were told to keep it very secret. I love that idea. I love that idea. Um, But it is the expectation of the Bible and the expectation of, of Christ and of His apostles that His people would fast on occasion and they would do so when seeing their desperate need for God to act. So I think that's a good reason um, to do it. Now, I want to throw out one more passage that is, I think, an important caveat. Um, I'm going to read to you Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 14 through 15. Matthew 9. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Okay. There's a few things worth noting here, I think. Jesus just associated fasting with mourning. Fasting with mourning. Fasting just like the call to the Israelites to afflict themselves, seeing that their their, um, sin has cost innocent blood, seeing their desperate dependence for God's merciful display of grace at the cost of another. Fasting is a type of mourning. A type of display of desperation, which, by the way, is not always appropriate. It is not always appropriate to fast. In fact, Christ says it would be inappropriate for them to fast right now because what would they be fasting? I'm here. Right? What would they be fasting for? I'm here. Their Redeemer is here in their presence. Uh, It would be silly to fast. It it would be kind of like the kingdom coming, right? And, and in, the, in the golden streets, you're, you're afflicting yourself. You're choosing to refrain from the wedding supper of the Lamb to say, I need the wedding supper of the Lamb, right? It's, there's some craziness to perpetual fasting because the life of a Christian is fasting in some seasons and feasting in others. Fasting in some seasons and feasting in others. We have this kind of weird uh, turn of phrase, already not yet. We talk about a lot because that's kind of the place we're in, right? Kind of like the people of Israel in the wilderness. We have been saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. So there are moments where the only appropriate thing to do is to celebrate our Redeemer and His work and to praise God for all the sweet gifts He's given. That's the already. And then there's moments where the only appropriate thing is to long for His return and to long for the Spirit's work on my heart and to plead with the Lord, I see my sin and I want it away forever. Please, Lord Jesus, right? If your life is exclusively characterized by the mindset of fasting, you're off. And if your life is exclusively characterized by the mindset of feasting, you're off. We're not there yet. 
Fasting is a temporary discipline. It will pass away in the coming kingdom. But we're not there yet. So your life should look like the Christian life, which is both. All right, I think that's all we need to understand this passage. Christ says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, the fasting that he just referred to is actually the inverse of biblical fasting. This is what I mean. The point of fasting is to show your helplessness to God, right? To demonstrate your helplessness to God. You're modeling your desperate need for His attention. You're modeling your desperate need for His attention and for His action. But the point of this guy's fast is to show His righteousness to men. You see how it's the inverse? Helplessness to God, righteousness to men. He's modeling His self-sufficiency, His holiness for man's attention and for man's praise. It is the opposite of what we've been called to do in fasting. So this sort of fasting, fasting where people see because of the way you're walking and holding your face, the way you're disfigured. Uh, it's actually a funny word in Greek. Um, the way you're twisting your face is a corruption. This sort of fasting corrupts a humble reflection of seeking God into a proud display to steal His glory. Right? So, it is the inverse of biblical fasting. When you fast, your object should not be the attention of men. It should be the attention of God. So Christ's prescription here is that your fasting should be in secret. People should not be able to tell. It says, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what this doesn't mean is go put on your Sunday best, um, anointing your head with oil, washing your face. These were everyday, regular occurrences. right? So, he's saying, don't not do that. right? The, The hypocrites, one of the ways they show that they're fasting is to stop keeping up with themselves. Right? So people realize, oh, that, must, that guy must be sick or something. The point is, go about your business. People should not be able to tell. People should not be able to tell that anything's changed because your audience is God. Your object is His attention. Biblical fasting is secret. We refuse to compromise God's attention for man's attention. That's biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is pointed at the Father. It's not pointed at man. It's a single-minded appeal to the Father who sees in secret. And I love this. He says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Biblical fasting is driven by hope. 
Biblical fasting is always referencing the moments in the Scriptures where bad people who had done bad things and who had earned grave consequences fasted in humility and God saw that humility and chose to rescue them from their faith. Right? That's hope-driven fasting. Your fast, yes, should be a reflection on your desperate dependency, but it also should be driven by your hope in the Father who sees the desperately dependent on Him and who acts on their behalf. Does that make sense? So should, by the way, your prayers. We pray with expectation that God will act. Maybe not in the way we want Him to. No one can please God except by believing that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. When you fast, yes, it's going to be hard for a time, but you fast because you believe wholeheartedly that the reward for that fasting far and away exceeds what? The pleasure of a few meals. Okay? We fast because we are hopeful. We are fueled by a certainty in God's generosity and grace. All right. So much for what the Bible seems to say about fasting. Let it suffice that if you are pursuing Christ wholeheartedly, this ought to come up sometimes. Now, for those who have been pursuing Christ, I want to ask, why don't we fast? I'm going to present a couple of potential answers to that question. Why don't we fast? Now, again, let me caveat by saying, fasting is not mandated. You shouldn't walk away saying, all right, I need to start fasting every week. I need to start fasting every month. Fasting is something that that I need to do like this, on these days, that's not it. But, I bet you that you can look back on moments of desperation and, and maybe you don't find yourself in those moments fasting. I want to ask why. So that the next time you find yourself in a moment of desperation, it's not even a question. Right? Alright, so, I think that the answer I think that a few potential answers to this question are these. I think that one of the reasons that we don't fast is because we don't see our desperate need. If you don't see your desperate need for God to act, you're not going to fast. It's not even going to occur to you to fast. Now, setting aside that your faith began with, in a moment of clarity, your recognition of desperate need, your desperate need for God did not stop there. It is, it is a bad understanding of the Gospel to believe that I realized my sin led to my judgment and I couldn't stand before God. Therefore, I turned to God in Christ and I was, I was rescued from that sin. And so I'm fine. That's not what the Bible 
says. Now, yes, I can have confidence in the coming judgment because I wear the righteousness of Christ, but my life in Christ does not stop there. It starts there. And every day I'm seeing ever more my sin. Every day the Spirit is readying me for the coming kingdom. And that's going to lead to moments where I see sin and I can't just like, in a moment, quit it. Or maybe I'm, in a, I'm facing the consequences of my sin. Right? Maybe I've, I've been sinning in a way that I was blind to and, and all of a sudden it's, it's right there and I see it and it's led to crisis in my marriage or crisis in my community. Or maybe it's led to, to physical crisis. Like you've been smoking all your life. You start come to Jesus... Three weeks later, you're diagnosed with lung cancer. I can't think of a better situation to plead and fast for grace. Right? Your desperation is recognized often as a Christ follower. And I think, if I'm following the biblical um, example, I think as we continue to walk towards the kingdom, our acknowledgement of our desperation gets bigger and bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper and deeper. So, if you don't see your desperate need for God, you probably should fast. Okay. Second, you don't believe it matters. Maybe the reason you fast is because you don't believe it matters. Maybe the reason you don't fast is the same reason you don't pray. God is sovereign. He's got good purpose. What am I going to do? Who am I? I change God's mind. Maybe you don't think it matters. I want to read you a passage. I think this is amazing. It's in 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Um, I don't know if you've read this story before. Uh, Brian Walker told me that I should finish Samuel and just go straight into Kings, and I told him I wouldn't because it's so depressing. Um, Kings is a hard book to read. Um, and Kings is a hard book to read because the people of Israel is just getting more and more corrupt. So there's a lot of moments of bad guys in Kings. But like the head honcho bad guy in a lot, like you read this book, there's, there's a short list of the head honcho bad guys. One of them is Ahab. I want to read to you a story about Ahab. This guy orchestrated the idolatry of the people of Israel. This guy was a bad dude. This guy did bad things. The context of this passage is where this guy looks at his wife, Jezebel, who, boy, is at least just as bad. And he says, God, look at that guy's field. I know I'm king and I have a lot of stuff. But, boy, I like that field I'd just really love to have it. Jezebel says, done. She rallies some wicked guys to testify against this guy, who, by the way, is righteous, and, and he is, he is, his blood is spilt because of their false testimony, just so that he would be dead, so that Ahab could claim his field, right? That's awful, right? That's, that's bad. So the Lord sent Elijah, who said to Ahab, hang on, 
Have you killed and taken possession? Thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. God sends Elijah and he says, you will be slaughtered for this sin and your sons will be slaughtered for this sin. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? Elijah answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and I will cut off from Ahab every male, bond or free, in Israel. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me because you have made Israel to sin and Jezebel. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, the dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. This is a grave prophecy in the face of a grave sin. Now listen. Listen to this. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab. That's a note in the Bible. That is a note in the Bible. Hey, just so you, if you haven't just picked up the story, there's none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as their Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. Tell me fasting doesn't work. What I'm not saying is that you can manipulate God into doing something. What I am saying is God sometimes chooses to do things through the humility of fasting. So maybe you don't fast because you don't believe it matters. And I think you don't believe it matters because you haven't read enough of the Bible and you haven't been paying enough attention. Okay. Maybe you don't believe that the Father sees you in your fasting, in your prayer. Our Father is in the secret. That's what Jesus said. He's in the secret, which means you lock yourself away and plead on your knees for Him to act. He's right there with you, and He's hearing you. And when you humble yourself before Him, He is seeing you. Maybe you have a corrupted understanding of God's distance. Maybe you believe that God isn't aware. He's not seeing or He doesn't care. That's not what Jesus says about His Father and our Father. We have a Father who sees. And so you fast and you will, as long as you're not pursuing the attention of man, you will have the attention of God in your fasting. That is a promise. 
Maybe you don't fast because you don't believe the Father rewards. I can't, I can't tell you how many passages in the Scripture promise that those who seek Him will find Him. He will be found by those who seek Him. And all that you've ever longed for All that's good, all that you hope for, all the peace that you've just barely been able to glimpse on the horizon, that's all Him. You think you're longing for what? Financial security. You think you're longing for what? A safer place to live. You think you're longing for what? Somebody who really loves you. What you're longing for is God. All these things teach us to long for God. Okay? And God's promise from the beginning of the Scriptures to the end of Scriptures is, I'm not very far from you. Seek me and you'll find me. Okay? Okay. So, those are maybe answers to why you haven't been fasting or why you chose not to fast in the past. And I hope... The next time you find yourself in a state of desperation, the Scripture's call to fast will make sense to you. If you have questions about how to do it or the mechanics of doing it or anything like that, uh, come talk to me. I can point you towards resources um, and maybe uh, uh, some brothers and sisters who've done it before. Okay? Amen. Let's, um, let's turn our attention to the table.